Hi, I'm Aubrey Charette. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Join us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. What a beautiful time of worship and prayer uh, together. It's good to be with you, church. Uh, I love when the church can come together and and be built up, be edified uh, as we glorify God together. We're going to be today in the gospel. That's good news, right? But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there. Uh, be ready. We'll be there in just a moment. If you have your Version Bible app, we have an event set up with some extra notes, some things that you can take with you throughout the week as you process and uh, work through some of the things that we're talking about. We're in the midst of a series called The Future Is Now, and it's an incredible series of vision for us as a church. I really want to begin with a question today that is a common question, uh, especially among children. Uh, maybe for some of us that are uh, older in the room, but specifically, often we would ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one of my kids asked me that recently because I don't think they've thought of me as a grown-up quite yet. Um, but so some of us in the room, we can understand and relate to that. But what do you want to be when you grow up? And so uh, a recent group of first graders was asked that question. I think their responses are really cool. <laughs> I thought I'd share them with you. Uh, when asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? This is the list they came up with. A secret agent, a break dancer, a princess, the Hulk. That's a good one, right? Who wouldn't want to be that? Movie director, a singer, a blogger. Now, welcome to 2020, where a first grader wants to be a blogger. That's awesome. <laughs> a chef, a video game designer, a mathematician, a jockey, an artist, a doctor, a veterinarian, a mermaid. Come on, ladies, who didn't want to be a mermaid? Or a merman, I guess, right? A dog walker. One little girl said, like Ilsa. So if you don't know who that is, you need to hang out with some kids, okay? Because little girls want to be like Ilsa. A car designer, a professional athlete, a ballerina, a teacher, a Lego master. Yeah. Engineer, a lawyer, an architect, a fisherman, a Batman. It says that, a Batman. So I think that's pretty cool. Race car driver, a hairdresser, and a train conductor. That's a great list there, isn't it? And uh, this series is really important for us because in some ways we're kind of asking that question. What are we going to be when we grow up? Now the church, we're, we're growing and we're growing up. We're maturing into who God has called us to be. And that's a good question. It's not the best question, though. Because we're not really just asking the question, what do we want to be? It's like, hey, let's take a, raise your hand if you want to do this. Raise your hand. We're really asking the question, who does who God want us to be? What does God want us to be as the church in the year 2020? And we began this series two weeks ago by saying there's never been a more important time for the church to be the church. There's never been more urgency. There's never been more of a need. And, and there is no substitute for the church being the church. That's why this is important. That's why it matters. In the world in which we live, who we are as a church, who God has called us to be in his word, it matters just as much today, if not more, than it has ever mattered before. And so because of that, throughout the series, we've been introducing a new statement of mission. And for us, this is important. This is not just something we throw up on the wall. This is not just something like, hey, for a few months, we're going to talk about this. This is really what guides us 
It's the guardrails that keeps us focused in the days ahead, not just on what we want to be, but on who God would have us be as a church. And so uh, we began last week kind of really introducing this and talking about this idea that we are transformed by God. This is who we are, who we're called to be. Transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. And if you were here last week, we began with the first half of that statement. What does that mean to be transformed by God? Not just what do we think it means. What does God's word say about that? Where do we find that this is not just our idea and our thoughts, but this is rooted in God's word and his truth for us. And so we began in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to conclude today this half of the mission statement on what does it mean to bring hope to others to Christ. And we're going to go to the same passage, the same words that we began last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So as you turn there, as you open, uh, we began last week starting in verse 14 through 17. And really what we're reading here is is a, a letter written by Paul to a church that he cared a lot about. And there's a lot of disunity. There's a lot of disagreements among the church. They're living in a difficult day. It's easy for us to say, yeah, well, the day we're living in is way harder. But they're facing persecution They're facing uh, extreme opposition in order to walk in obedience to be the church. And so Paul is writing, and and in his words, if you read throughout 2 Corinthians, he has has some grief in his heart because of his journey with this church. And so these words matter. And really, in the words that we read last week and the words we read this week, I think it's a perfect illustration of the mission God is calling us to. This is not the only place in Scripture where I believe we're called to this mission, but I think it's a beautiful portrait of just uh, last week and this week in this specific passage of 2 Corinthians 5 to remind us of who we're called to be as a church. So we're going to begin reading 2 Corinthians 5 uh, verse 18. We left off in verse 17 last week. If you missed it, hop online and listen. We'd love for you uh, to stay engaged in some of the things that God is showing us. But in verse 18, we'll begin and, and like usual, I'll stop several times to help us kind of pause and understand what it is God is speaking to us, what he's trying to say to us through his word. So verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5 says this, All this is from God. And if you were not here last week, or if last week seems like a long time ago, you may say, what in the world does that mean? All this is from God. Well, it's everything that we talked about last week. In verse 14 through 17, it's, it's this idea that the love of Jesus Christ compels us because Jesus died for all. He died. One died for all. And so because of that, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't live motivated just by self and me, 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 me anymore. No, no, no. We want to live for Christ. We want to live for him. And because of that, we don't have a worldly perspective anymore. We don't judge everything in our lives just by what we can see and what we can touch and what we can possess. We used to operate that way, but not anymore because of the love of Jesus Christ poured out into our hearts. We are a new creation. We are being transformed. That's the old, and God is bringing new. And he, he didn't just do it once. He is continually making us new creations. We believe in the power of God to transform lives. And you don't have to take my word for it. You are sitting in the midst today of some transformed men and women and young people who have experienced the transforming power of God. And so what is Paul saying? All this? What is all this? It's that. It's that stuff. In in verse 14 through 17, all of that, it's from God. All of this is God doing it and he's working. And he says again in verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God reconciled us 
to himself through Christ. Notice, notice it's not us, it's not us who reconcile God to us. It's not us who crossed the divide. It's not, it's not God who built up the barrier. It was not God who was distant from us. It's not that we beckoned him back to us. It's that God, we had built the barrier. We had estranged ourselves from him. We were enemies of God, and he reconciled us back to himself. He crossed the divide, as Paul would say later in the letter to the church in Ephesus. And God did this for us. He, he reconciled us. To himself through Christ. And look, there's not a period there. Some of us wish there was. Or we like that. We love the idea of God reconciling us. We, oh, let's worship. Let's celebrate that. Hallelujah. I've been reconciled. Grace is given that I didn't deserve. Praise the Lord. But Paul doesn't end verse 18 right there. There's this and, right? That God has reconciled us through Christ and gave us. The ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry. It's not just that God did this for you through Christ, that in Christ he was reconciling us to himself. It's not just that, but and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The same ministry that he was doing to us, he's now entrusted to us. Let me tell you, that's really good news today. You know why that's good news? Because some of us showed up in the room today, and we, we may not say this out loud, but we believe that there's nothing extraordinary we could do for God. We believe we're very ordinary. We're very average. In fact, we would look at our past, and the lie that the enemy wants to tell you is, look at all the things you, how could God ever use you? What difference could you ever make? What good could God, and so we believe the lie and think, yeah, you're right, I'm just in a room this size. We would look at everybody else and say, well, I'm a a nobody, and I'm an outcast, and I I can't really be a part. Look at all the things I've done. I'm not good enough. I don't understand scripture well enough. I'm not, I haven't been at church long enough. But to you, I say that notice these words are not in parentheses. This is not an optional part. This is for all believers that you were reconciled to God through Christ, and you were given the ministry. You were invited in to the call that we are a part of the father's business, the family business. We've been invited in. And so to you, I would say you have the opportunity to partner in the mission of God. Even you, you think I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. But even then he invites you to be a part of his mission. That's good news. But there's a hard word here too. There's a hard word because some of us wish verse 18, or at least we live our lives like verse 18 ends with just God reconciling us to himself. Praise the Lord. I've been reconciled. I've been redeemed. But there's an and there. And it's very important that we continue to read that God has called us. You see, he's not just invited us into this ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to it. And so there's a responsibility here. It's not just an invitation. That feels good to be invited. Oh, God, you want me. All right, I'm, I'm valued. I'm loved. But no, no, he's saying, I'm entrusting you. I'm calling you to the same ministry that I've been doing, that the same, the hard work of redemption, that the hard work of grace and forgiveness and pursuing the one that is lost. Now this is your ministry too. Just as I have reconciled you, I'm entrusting to you, my church, the ministry of reconciliation. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 19. Because notice verse 18 ends with a colon, at least in my copy of Scripture. So it's not period, end of discussion. It's colon. In other words, let me tell you more about this calling. Let me tell you more about being reconciled to God and now being invited into this ministry of reconciliation. This is what it says in verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation in case we would miss it. In case we would just want to breeze over verse 18. Paul again in verse 19 says the same exact thing. By the way, God is in the reconciliation business and now so are you. In case we miss it, Paul says it not once, not twice, but keep reading in verse 20. He's going to say it again. But this time he's going to give us a visual. He's going to give us an image. He's going to give the church in Corinth uh, something that they could easily relate to. And I think something that we can visualize and relate to also. Verse 20, he says, we are therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. It's as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? Who is an ambassador? It's someone living in a foreign land. Man, that's important, isn't it? That's an important visual for us to have. Because sometimes in the church we get really up in arms. And we get really flustered and we get really scared and afraid. Because the world in which we live is kind of counter to the gospel. It's even hostile to the gospel. And man, I understand that. I live in that world too. But we act surprised. We act surprised when the world in which we live doesn't value the things that we value. But remember that we are called to be ambassadors. And ambassadors don't live in their homeland. They don't live in their home country. They're called out into a foreign land, into a place that is not their home. And so this earth... This world in which we live is not our ultimate home as believers, but we are planted for such a time as this as his ambassadors. And who who do ambassadors represent? Do they just kind of, they speak on their own behalf? Well, this is what I think. No, no, no. They represent the king. They speak for the kingdom. And so we are called within a world that is foreign to us, within a world that doesn't always value the things that we value, but we're not called to hide. We're not called to run the other way. We're not called to cluster in fear. No, no, we're called to be His representative, represent me in that world, in the brokenness, in in the the foreignness that that may even be counter to the gospel, that we are his ambassadors. It's it's so God is making his appeal through us. That's the visual Paul wants us to have, and just in case we would forget. And just in case, as he begins saying all this is from God, and just in case we would begin to well up with a little bit of fear and a little bit of feeling like, oh, I can't do that. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not gifted enough. I can't do that. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, just this beautiful depiction of the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus, right? He made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reason that we are called to be his ambassadors is because Jesus paid the price for us. And because of that, we are the righteousness of God. 
Because we've been reconciled. We're entrusted to this ministry. We're called to this ministry. We're empowered and invited to be a part of this ministry. And it's not really because we're good enough. And it's not really because we have all the qualifications. It's not because we even know what we're really doing. It's just because that Jesus poured out his life for us. And because of that, we're the righteousness of God. His representatives in the world. A foreign land. A culture that is counter to the gospel. We're called to be his representatives. Can I be honest with you that uh, many of you, I've shared my story before, that I've grown up in the church. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. But one of the biggest challenges for some of us that are familiar with the word of God, that is beautiful, that we've read the words before and we know them. And, but one of the challenges for the church is when we read scripture to really let it come alive and even think uh, and read and process like an outsider, like someone that doesn't know this to be true yet. And so can I just tell you, as I was reading and studying and being ministered to by these words, as I was preparing last week and this week to just really see the beautiful depiction of God's mission for us in 2 Corinthians 5, can I just tell you one of the biggest challenges as I read these words, not as somebody that's read them dozens of times, but as I, I tried to read them for someone who read them for the first time, I tried to put myself in the position of, of someone that would show up today. And maybe the church is foreign to them. Or, or maybe they've been jaded and hurt by the church before. They're skeptical of things of faith. And, and we're so glad that you showed up. And maybe you're reading these words for the very first time. So I tried to put myself where, where you're at today and look at these words with, with fresh eyes. And can I just be honest with you? The biggest question that, that arose in my heart and in my spirit as I read these words, that if this is true, and if most of us in this room that claim to know Christ would say 2 Corinthians 5, yeah, that's true. That's gospel. There aren't a lot of people fighting or debating over the truth of this scripture. And if that's true for the church of Jesus Christ in the year 2020, if this is true, then how do we get this so wrong? I mean, if this is truth for us. And we read these words and we believe this is God's anointed word for us and his truth and his calling for us as a church. Then why is it that what we see lived out in the church today in 2020 does not match clearly the call in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Why is the American church filled with so many people who seem so concerned with self-preservation? If we're called to be ambassadors in the world in which we live, if we're entrusted and invited to the ministry of reconciliation, this is a call to rescue and, and redeem and, and reconcile the hard work of forgiveness and extending grace, yet the church is often perceived as isolated, disconnected, and disengaged. If this is true, then how, how can that be? Not just in our church, but in, in the church universal. I've, I've been a part of churches that cared more about the color of the carpet than they did about lost people in their community. They cared way more about which songs were being sung on a Sunday morning than hopeless people living in and around them. How can this be if we claim this gospel as our own? If this is true, if, if 2 Corinthians 5 is true, then wouldn't the church, shouldn't the church look different? Shouldn't we be spending just as much time, no, 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 even more time focused on those outside of the church than those within the church? Wouldn't we be building relationships with those that are different 
than us, valuing those who believe differently than we do? Wouldn't we be showing up in the lives of hopeless people if this gospel was true? Can I just tell you the hard truth that I've, as I prayed, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself today, because I've, I've grown up and been a part of the church my whole life. I don't remember a time in my life I wasn't a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for that. But can I tell you the hard truth in my life? As I look in the mirror and, and I, I try to put 2 Corinthians 5 over the grid of my life, can I tell you the reason that I think my life, as part of the church, my life doesn't always match up to the challenge of 2 Corinthians 5? The reason is I care too much about myself. I care too much about me. That, that if I'm not careful... I can make the church, oh, thank you, Jesus, for loving me and saving me and redeeming me, but I can just use the church as an instrument for my needs and my fulfillment and what makes me feel good and what, oh, I was fed, I was ministered to. And, and man, I, I love that. I love that, that we are called as the church to gather. And there's beautiful things that happen as the body, as we're edified and we're built up. That's biblical. And I'm not suggesting it isn't. But the challenge is, is if we make the church about me, and my needs, and what's in it for me, then ultimately what happens is we become so narcissistic. We become all centered around me. And you know what happens? That makes us no different than the world in which we live because we're living in a culture, in a day, that it's all about me. It's all about what makes me happy. It's all about what I can do to fulfill my needs. And, and, and so we're living in, in a world in which me is the God, is the idol of our day. And when the church does that too, we, we have nothing to offer the world around us because we look and act exactly like they do because we use the church and we use the gospel to really let's make it about me. If that's convicting to you this morning, I'm just telling you where I've been. I'm just telling you the things that I'm wrestling with this morning. I want to speak specifically to us as a church, and this is the truth I want us to know today. This is the truth I want uh, just nailed down deep within our spirits today. It's this, that the church that does not go is not the church. Listen, we're called to gather. We're called to gather. It's a beautiful thing. That's what's happening right here. We believe that. We're called biblically. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And so I love that and I believe in that. But sometimes as a church, we're, we're all about gathering. And we're all about, uh, oh, that was good. pastor was preaching to me. Oh, you know, it's, it's, that's good stuff. I love that. But sometimes we gather, and we gather at the expense of going. Sometimes our focus as the church is all about the gathering. It's all about the coming together. Ooh, wasn't church great today? That, that, that hour, and what you mean is that hour that we gathered on Sunday morning. Wasn't that great? Yeah, that was good. Can't wait to come back next week. And, and I love that. I love that we're, we're, we grow here. I love that we're fed. I love that we're encouraged and equipped. But ultimately, if the church is just about gathering, that's not the church. Because we're called to go. We're called to be ambassadors, that we would bear the name Jesus in a world that may not understand, in a world that may be hostile, in a world that may be skeptical because we're called in the midst of a foreign land. We're called to bear the name Jesus. We're called outside of the walls. We love to gather, but the gathering should not come at the expense of going. What purpose? What purpose is there in a church that gathers but refuses to go? I have no vision. I have no vision to be part of a church that refuses to go because I see no vision in God's word for a church that refuses to go. We are called not just to gather, 
but to go in a church that does not go. It's not the church. Call it something else. Because that's not, that's not the church I read about. That's not the church that I see. That's not the church that as I study the word of God, I see embracing this mission that we are invited to be a part of. A mission that extends beyond me and beyond my needs and beyond what I want and beyond what makes me feel good and comfortable. That's the lie that we see. That the narcissistic pursuit of me, 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 me. This is a mission and a gospel that calls us beyond me in a church that does not go. It's not the church. You see, we began last week talking about this new mission, and, and really we talked about the transforming work of God. It's really about obedience. It's really about obedience, and obedience, we believe, is not really just the first step. It's the step throughout. It's all about obedience. Our call as the church to partner in the mission of God is always about obedience. It's about obedience and, and him transforming us. As we obey, he transforms. As we obey, he transforms. But then as he transforms us, we don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't worship at the altar of me anymore. We don't make the church just about me anymore. And you should be loved here. And you should grow here. And you should be edified here. And all those are good things. But ultimately, as we obey, as God transforms, we have a heart and a burden and a longing to go, to carry the message, to be agents of reconciliation in a world that desperately needs it. The world does not need a church that looks like them, that acts like them. They need a church that embraces a gospel that reconciles, a gospel that calls us to go. Can I ask you when the last time, when is the last time that you took a prayer walk through your neighborhood? Maybe you live on like a rural street, so that's not a real safe thing. Get in your car, right? When's the last time that you just started driving and praying? Saying, God, give me a burden for this community. Give me, give me a vision, God, to be your ambassador in this corner of this neighborhood in which I live. When's the last time that you and I prayed that way? When's the last time you opened your eyes to the oppression happening around you and you just simply said, God, how can I be your agent of reconciliation here? When is the last time you prayed or fasted for someone in your life who was lost and hopeless and far from God? When is the last time you thought about those in our community who need spiritual needs, physical needs? When is the last time you allowed yourself to look like, to think like an outsider, like someone who's overlooked, excluded, ignored? We are called to gather, but I believe we're called to go. And here... Here's the truth. This isn't my idea. This is the gospel that we proclaim as our own. This is 2 Corinthians 5, the truth. But in case you think this is just one instance, I want to I close today by bringing us back to the words of Jesus. I want you to get a clear image that this is not just Paul, years after Jesus died, going rogue and thinking of his No, 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 this was Jesus' idea from the very beginning. And in John 17... John 17 is an important chapter in scripture because it comes at a place in the story of John. John is, is really the biography, one biography of the life of Jesus. And this is an important moment in Jesus' life because if you turn the page from John 17, you see the cross. You, you see that Jesus will go to the cross and he'll suffer and die and he'll be accused wrongly of things that he never did. But he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And as soon as you turn the page from John 17, we see the reality of the cross. 
And so the moment before that happens, Jesus is praying. And it's this beautiful whole chapter of Jesus just talking to the Father. It's beautiful, but, but in, in verse 20 of John 17, Jesus is praying for believers. Not just for the believers that he can see, not just for his disciples. He's praying for all believers. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And I want you to get this image of Jesus pouring out his heart to the Father on the way to the cross, on the way to obedience, to even death on a cross. And he's praying for you, and he's praying for me. And I want you to hear these words from John 17, verse 20. These are the words of Jesus, our Savior, praying for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about you and me. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying. He's not even just praying for you and me. That's a beautiful visual. That thousands of years ago, Jesus made, he was praying for you. He was praying for all those that would believe and follow after him. But that's not even enough. He's saying, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for those that will believe in me because of them. I'm praying that for my um, men and women and students and young people, my ambassadors, right? I'm praying for them and those that will know of me because of them. You see, for Jesus, the source of future believers, it's our message. It's our message. The church that does not go is not the church. That's not the church that Jesus had in mind. It's not the church I read about in the gospel. A church that loves to gather but refuses to go, that's not the church. So can I just challenge you today? Can I challenge myself, my heart? Can I challenge us as we look toward the future and what God has for us as a church? Can I challenge you? Let's be the church. Let's be the church. I, I love to go to church. That's great. But, but let's be the church. That's who Jesus was calling us to be. Let's be the church. Students, young people in your schools and in your campus, when you show up there tomorrow, be the church. Be the church. Parents, man, when you're, when you're wrestling those young and trying to get them to bed at night, trying to do your thing, running them here and there, be the church. Where God has planted you, where you live, where you work, be the church, because that is who God has called us to be. Not just to gather as the church, but to go and be the church. It's almost as if, it's almost as if, I love what we do here. One highlights of my week. But it's almost as if as we pray and as we gather here and as we prepare each week to end the service, it's almost as I want to end the service by saying, church, it's time to go. And by doing that, that doesn't mean it's time to go to lunch. Time to go. No, no, it's saying church. Come on now. It's time to be the church. It's time to go. Man, this was great, wasn't it? Man, this was edifying. And we were built up and we were encouraged and we were given hope and we were given the gospel. But now, church, it's time to be the church. Let's go. What a beautiful mission we've been called to. What a beautiful mission that we've been entrusted to. Agents of reconciliation. This is not an optional part of the gospel for Jesus, for Paul as he proclaims the gospel truth. The church that does not go, it's not the church. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. In the year 2020, let's be the church who God has called us to be. Wherever he sends us, wherever we're planted, let's be the church right there. Let, let's not wait. Let's not wait for the church to plan an initiative to go be the church. No, no, no. Right there where we are. Right there where we're planted. Be the church. 
Be obedient as he transforms you. Continually be obedient and say, God, I want to be the church. I believe you've invited me, not just that. I believe you're entrusting me. You're calling me. You're counting on me to be your ambassador in a world that's lost, in a world that's broken, in a world that needs hope. We as a church are committed to a gospel that carries us beyond this room. A gospel that carries us beyond what just feels comfortable and safe. A gospel that carries us beyond me to a world that desperately needs hope. It desperately needs Jesus and you and I. We're called. Let's be the church. Would you stand? Would you stand? I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that you and I today would not just be hearers of the word. We would be doers of the word. I want to pray today that we would not just listen to truth and turn a deaf ear to the gospel, but we would say, here I am, Lord. Send me. I will be the church. I'm going to need your help, Lord. I can't do it on my own, but as you send me, we sang about that, right? As you go with me, God, I want to be the church. And so, Father in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name, not in my name, not in the name of this church, not in, in what we can do, God. We pray in the name of Jesus because it's because of Jesus that we were redeemed. It's because of Jesus that we were reconciled to God, and now you invite us. To be a part of your kingdom mission, God. Your ambassadors in a world that needs you, God. The world does not need the church to be about me. The world does not need a church that just preaches about gathering but refuses to go. The church, God, you need a church that will go, that will be the church in a world that is lost, in a world that needs hope, in a world that desperately needs the reconciliation of our God. Call us, God. Commission us, send us. We love you and we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at infobeaconofhope.org for any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10:30 a.m., and a third gathering at 11:45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. We're at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.